Good morning. What I'd like to focus on this morning um, is something that you're all familiar with, but perhaps at times in your life, if you're like me, in the busyness of life, you forget. About a few weeks ago, when, uh, um, well, Dave scheduled me to speak a while ago, but a few weeks ago, Dave pulled me aside and he said, oh, what are you going to speak on? And I go, I don't know, I have a few ideas kicking around, but uh, he goes, you know, we haven't had anyone speak on the rapture in a long time. Like, oh, the rapture, hmm. And I just finished several months ago, um, well, a while ago, I did the two advents of Christ, the first coming and the second coming of Christ. So I thought, well, maybe this would add into it very uh, smoothly that we, we touched on a little bit on the second coming of Christ, but nothing real in depth on the rapture itself. So as I begin to pray about it and focus on it, I think the Lord's laid upon my heart to not only take up the rapture, but to go from there into the tribulation and into the millennial kingdom and kind of tie it all together and look at end times a little bit. And um, I have a chart that I made years ago. I'll get it printed off and hand out uh, next time I speak. And uh, to focus in on it, not so much on current events and tying it in because I'm not very good at that. But um, there's other guys that are a lot better. But just looking at what the Bible teaches that will take place in the future that we could be confident in. Um, you know, a lot of times we get people that make these speculations. And I'm not going to tell you how either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton's the next Antichrist or anything else like that. But, um, um, but just to look at it, what the, the scriptures teach. And it's amazing how the Lord has worked this into my life, that how over the course of the past year we've been busy and, and with different things, and, and unfortunately what ends up happening is uh, the work of the Lord always seems to uh, be the thing that, that gives. So you get busy with kids and, and work and everything else, and what ends up getting sacrificed? Well, usually it's your commitment to the local assembly or your, your involvement or... Uh, whatever it might be. Not to say that that's right, wrong, or indifferent. Sometimes we've got to step away from stuff, but um, unfortunately we step up and, and we do stuff that really doesn't matter for eternity, that really has no effects on eternity that we put the priority on. And as I begin to meditate on the coming of the Lord and, and the rapture and when he's going to return to take his church home to be with himself, I started thinking, what this past week, or even the past month, did I do that was so important that would affect eternity? And I ask that question to you as well. What have we done, and are we truly living in light that the Lord can come today? And if the Lord came today, does it matter what my house looks like? Does it matter how green my grass is? Does it matter how well my, spool, my, spool, my pool sparkles? This stuff's all nothing. Now, it doesn't mean that we go on. The Bible doesn't teach that we just sit on a rock and we don't work. We just wait for the coming of the Lord and we sit there and do nothing. No, we have to keep our house clean. We have to keep our yards up so that we have a good testimony. But I think you get, you get the point of what I'm saying is that the things that we do for eternity, once Christ comes back, none of this other stuff matters. What difference does it make if I have a giant house? If I have beautiful cars I drive? You know, some of uh, commentators have made the, the suggestion that 
The mere rapture is not going to be the real miracle of, of God and the, showing the power of God. It's going to be God as he takes the church and snatches them away, the believers that are holding on to the earth with a firm grip of all their earthly possessions. That's going to show the power. How we love this earth, and really at times you could even think about, do we even want the Lord to return? Are we even eagerly looking for it? Are we so comfortable here and now that we no longer eagerly wait to see the Lord face to face? This is a challenge for myself and for as well as you. Um, are we living in light of the Lord's return? Are we living our lives in perspective that let's do things that matter for eternity? And I can honestly say I haven't been. But we got to change. So I, I prayed about it. And as I studied this, I prayed, Lord, okay. I need to get more involved in the assembly. You're right, and I feel convicted. And then our brother Rick hits me up. Hey, I need someone to take Wednesday nights. What am I going to say? He got me. I said, all right. All right. Well, let's, let, let, you got to start. Any time in your life, and yeah, we get carried away in life, and it's not that... We got to sit there and beat ourselves up, but you get carried away with the affairs of life, and we got to step back and say, Am I living in light of the fact that one, I could die tomorrow, there's no guarantee for tomorrow, or two, the Lord returns? And, and the, the question we got to ask ourselves, are we? And if we're not, eat the humble pie and let's correct it. And um, so and we got to encourage one another. And this is the whole purpose of this message. And, the return of the Lord is that this is one of the, the greatest motivational factors to live a holy, righteous life and to deal with the affairs of today because you're looking for the, the return of the Lord. You're looking for that time that he's going to snatch us away from this sin-cursed earth, that all of our physical elements, all of our, our, our failing bodies, um, all of our suffering here on earth are going to be gone. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be gone. We're going to be snatched away. And we're done here on earth. Um, and as I was talking to Dave about this, he had a, uh, he's not here, so I can, I can lay him out. But he had a great idea. He goes, you know, I'm going to write a letter for my neighbor. And I'm going to write it, and I'm going to go over and give it to him. I'm going to write a letter and say, if I'm raptured and taken, when the, when the Lord raptures me and takes me away, you can have my house and all of my possessions. He doesn't need them. They're gone. So this is the motivating factor that not only the, the Bible teaches that Paul uses for us to live a holy life, but for us to be eagerly looking up for the Lord to return. And if you're anything like me, um, we begin to look around and stop looking up in this thing. And, and I know within my day and time, Growing up, we went to a lot of Bible prophecy conferences. We had Rob Lindstedt and, and different people, and it was on the radio. You would hear these prophecies, and the people would tie in current events with, with things, and they're like, the Lord's coming back tomorrow, and everybody gets pumped up. Time goes on. The Lord doesn't return. Time goes on. The Lord doesn't return. And then now you start to get the soft scoffers. You start to get people that are mocking it, people that, as you, you mentioned to you, say, 
People have been saying this for hundreds of years. When's he going to return? When's he going to come? He's not coming back. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be one day, and it could be today, it could be next week, it could be 100 years from now. But the Lord will return. And this is going to be the first phase of his second coming, is when he's going to return in the air to take his saints home to be with him. This event will take place. It is guaranteed. The Lord Jesus Christ made a very clear promise that he's going to go away. He's going to be gone. He has to leave his disciples. But he says, I'm going to come again. And the beauty of it is, and what we're going to see, is that he's going to come again. He's going to take up the saints to be with him, and we will forever be with the Lord. You see, there's a yearning right now. There's something that's missing in our life. And yes, we commune with the living God in a spiritual way, through prayer, through our walk, through the reading of the word of God. But there's still something that's absent. And Paul longed for this. He longed for the day that he would see his Savior face to face. And do we long for that day, that we are reunited with him, that the trumpet sounds and the call goes out, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive that, that remain on earth are caught up together with them in the air. What a tremendous event, and this will take place. It's soon, it's coming. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and as you turn there, I'm going to lay out the end time events a little bit for you, and we're going to end up covering these more in detail. But what we are currently in right now is the church age. This is the day and age in which Christ has promised that he will build his church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. He is currently building the bride of Christ. He is currently adding people into the church. And this is through the baptism of the Spirit, that we are in, placed in Christ. We are his. So we're in currently the, the, the church age. The next event to take place is what we mentioned here is the rapture. Let me make this clear. There are no events that need to take place before the rapture occurs. There's nothing. Nothing that needs to take place. It can come at any moment in time. After the rapture occurs, it's something that's called the seven-year tribulation. There's going to be three and a half years of peace, and then three and a half years it's referred to more as a great tribulation, where basically the wrath of God is poured out upon this earth, where it's going to be so horrible, so horrendous, that people, it's better off for them to die. They just want to die. It's so bad that the Bible declares that God has to shorten the days and call it quits for the sake of the elect. Otherwise, there would be no more man remaining on earth. He has to stop it. But there's going to come a day when the Lord is going to come and intervene in the affairs of mankind and show who he truly is. See, God's going to vindicate his son. All the mockers, all the scoffers, all the people that use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain, everybody that's, that's blasphemed the Lord, everyone that's taken the Son of God and trampled on him, God's going to vindicate his son. There's going to come a, there's going to come a time when he will declare who his son truly is. There will come a day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day will come. After the seven-year tribulation, at the very end of it, is what we have the second phase of the com second coming of Christ. And that's where 
Christ comes with his saints to the earth. This is where he comes and is going to set up his kingdom on earth and usher in what is referred to as the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign. And we're going to get into some of this stuff later. But right now we want to focus our time on the rapture. But these are just some of the major events that's going to take place. And hopefully when we get done with this study, you'll be confident and, um, that, that what's going to take place is what the Bible declares. First thing we've got to distinguish from, and as I already mentioned, is phase one and phase two of the second coming. The, the, the first phase is where the Lord Jesus Christ is coming for his saints. The second phase is when he's coming with his saints to the earth. So we've got to declare, make the difference between that. And sometimes as we read through the scriptures, you'll have it referring to the rapture, and then the first phase, and then within the next chapter or so, you're in the second phase, and it starts going back and forth and get confusing if we don't uh, discern between the two. The other one is to distinguish between the church and Israel. See, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is heavenly people. The church is the age that we're in now. But Israel is the earthly people. You see, God made a prom promise years ago to Abraham and to David. And he made the new covenant in which he will fulfill in, in, in the future. He will fulfill those covenants of giving Israel the land, of setting up a, a king that's going to rule over Israel and over the whole world. And we've got to distinguish between that. We are not the spiritual Israel. We are not the fulfillment of the covenants. We partake in the covenants, but those covenants, those, the new covenant which we enjoy and that is a blessing, he made to the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. He didn't make it to the church, and we don't take that away from him. But we are the bride of Christ. And right now, as you go into the Daniel 70, 70 weeks of Daniel, you'll see a parenthetic period of where this church age that God's come in, that he hasn't declared in the past in the Old Testament, uh, that he's going to pull, pull aside a bride for him. This church age is a mystery. It's unrevealed truth in the past that he's revealing now. This, this um, rapture is a mystery that the Bible declares. It's unrevealed in, this, in, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament revealed the second coming of Christ and when he comes to earth, but not in the sense that he's coming in the air to take the saints home to be with himself. So we've got to distinguish between that. We're not going to get into it in depth right now, but just distinguish between the church and Israel. So where do we get the word rapture? If you were to look it up in the, the dictionary um, or in a, a, a Bible concordance, you would flip through there and you would say there's, there's no word rapture in here. So it, this is not really a scriptural word, is it? Well, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to look at where they actually derive it. And it's a theological term to describe the event that's going to take place. Um, and um, oftentimes we do this to categorize and understand what we're talking about, to give it a, a word. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll start reading in uh, verse 13. It says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So where do we get the word rapture? Well, if you notice in verse 17, it says, and remains and shall be caught up. Caught up is where we get the word rapture. Translated in the Latin is raptura, and that's where we gather the word rapture. The actual Greek word means to snatch or to take away. So the whole idea of the rapture and the definition of it is to take away, to snatch up, to remove. And this is where we, we get this. The actual meaning of, the theological meaning of rapture is the carrying away of the church from earth to heaven. It's a calling. What are the components of the rapture? Well, the first phrase is the return of Christ. Look at what it says in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. This is tremendous. Why? Because the Lord doesn't just call us up to heaven. The Lord doesn't just send his angels to gather us up and to bring us to him. But the Lord shows the value of how much he loves his saints and how much he's wanting us to come home to be with him is that he's going to come himself. That shows the value of who we are. I know when Stephen was stoned and, and he was a martyr for Christ and the heavens opened up and we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father in heaven, but it shows Jesus standing up to receive Stephen into glory. Every saint that is redeemed, he loves. And brothers and sisters, we are so important to the Lord that he himself is coming to get us. Nobody else. He hasn't declared this to anyone else. He hasn't delegated this to anyone else but himself. And he's coming to meet us in the air. And from that point on, look at this. In the end of verse 17, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is an important part of, of, of the rapture. Russ had it right on when he's talking about the eternal state several weeks ago, and he, just, he, he defined heaven as where God is. If you're with God, that's heaven. And heaven for us is wherever the Lord Jesus Christ is, we're with him. This is what eternity is about. It's not about the, the streets of gold and all this other stuff, which is tremendous and a blessing, but the, the main thing we should be looking for in heaven is that day when he calls us, and we see our Savior face to face. And we see the nail prints in his hands. And we look into the eyes of the Savior that took the whipping, the beating, the mockery. That took everything for us. Because of his tremendous love for us. See, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is waiting right there. He's waiting. Father, it's time to go. The time to go. I want to go. I want to go get the saints. I want to... Now, this is not in the scripture. This is me just living out, but the Savior wants to go. But you see, in 2 Peter, it says the Lord isn't slack concerning his promise. He's not, he, he's not forsaking us, but the, 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 the long suffering of the Lord, and I love that we're long suffering, that he's not willing that any should perish, is that he's postponing his coming because of salvation. He wants to save people. He wants to redeem 
mankind. Some have surmised that once the last person saved on this, this earth that, that needs to be saved for the church, then boom, we're gone. Perhaps that's true. But the Lord's slackness, if you would say, or his long suffering, or, or the time frame from when he's going to return is for salvation. For the gospel to go out, for us to be a witness and to be a testimony. And you see, we'll get into it a little later, but, but we're, before the Lord's return, you have the apostasy in which there's a falling away and a rejecting of Christ. The church is in a, in a, in a, uh, a state of falling away. But the Lord continues on. Trying to save people, wanting to save people. But he also wants to come and get us. He wants to come and, and, and have that trumpet sound. And have that shout go out. And he meets with us. He wants to be with us. And he has made it very clear that he will be with us. Or that we will be with him wherever he goes. Never a separation from his disciples. Never a separation from his bride. And we get, we'll, we'll get into it later on, but once we're raptured up, you have uh, the marriage supper of the lambs, and then you also have um, a judgment seat of Christ, where there's rewards that are given out for your service here on earth. But that's for another time. Let's look through this First Thessalonians chapter uh, 4 a little more. First thing in verse 13 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. What he's talking about here is those who have fallen asleep in the sense that have died before them. You have two categories here. You have ones that are from the, uh, the day of Pentecost all the way to the present time that have died in Christ. See, the baptism of the Spirit, what it does is the Spirit takes us and places us in the body of Christ. Therefore, we are in Christ. Those that have fallen asleep in Christ, they were concerned about here in Thessalonica. They were concerned that if the rapture occurred and they were snatched away, that these ones in the grave are going to remain there, perhaps, till the end of the tribulation period or at some other time. And what Paul is comforting them with is that we're not going to go ahead and, and be raptured out of this earth and go to be with the Lord, and those, all those that died are going to miss out on this event. No, all the loved ones from the Apostle Paul to the Apostle Peter to all the disciples to, to all the church uh, people that have been added into Christ up until this present age are all going to be taken and resurrected from the ground. Those bodies that have turned to dust, that have been scattered all around the world, and the mighty power of God, what he's going to do, and the shout goes out, he's going to take all those bodies and bring them and change them and, and make them, give them bodies that are fit for heaven. Give them bodies that, that can live in eternity. So he doesn't want them to be ignorant of this fact. And it says, lest you sorrow as others with no hope. The no hope is those that are not in Christ. The no hope are the people that have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Look at verse 14. He makes a distinction. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So there's a distinction here. If you've never had a time in your life where you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are not in Christ. You are not going to be raptured. You are facing a lost eternity in hell for all of eternity. But see, the comfort that we have, the hope that we have, is that 
Those that are in Christ, those that have placed their trust, their faith, uh, their faith in Christ's death on the cross, we have a hope that we're going to be snatched away from this world. And those that have died are going to be resurrected at that time. Verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. As I mentioned here, they, they thought that they were going to miss out on this, this event. And as Paul clearly states, we're not going to precede them. We're not going to heaven without them. Everyone that's died, all those bodies are going to be brought together at the same time as we are snatched away from this earth. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That shout that's going to go out. Now, I'm not certain if it's the shout of the Lord himself or if he's designated that over to the archangel to shout. Perhaps that's it, but commentators were split on that. But irregardless, there's a shout that will ring out, and the trumpet of God is going to be sounded. And here comes the Savior. He's coming. So we have the resurrection. The dead in Christ are going to be raised. You have the rapture. We who are alive are going to be snatched up and taken away. We have a reunion. Christ is going to be reunited with his saints. He's come again for them. And we have the transformation. Our bodies are going to be made fit for eternity. There's three main passages that refer to the rapture, as well as there's other verses that we can turn to. But the second one we're going to look at is John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We just looked at 1 Thessalonians 4. We've got about 15 minutes to look at the rest of these. And then if we have time, we'll get into the apostasy of the, the age that we're in. And here we have the Lord in the upper room with his disciples. And he's going to give them tremendous insight and comfort because he's talking about going away. He's talking about going to the cross. Now he's going to be away from them. And what better way to comfort the disciples than to say, I'll come again. I'm going to come back for you. Look at John chapter 14, verse 1. says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, also believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here we have a tremendous promise from the Lord himself. The promise is, is that he must go away and that he will come again. He says clearly in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And this is what we see in the rapture, is that he's going to come again. He himself is going to come in the clouds. He himself is going to come in the air. He himself, by the power 
that he has is going to snatch us and resurrect us up to himself. No one else is coming in the sense of he's delegated. He's going to have his angels with him. But he himself is coming to receive us. I love that. If there's anything you can take home today, take that home. I just, I, I, you know, it's amazing that he came down and died on the cross for our sins. It's amazing that he took on flesh and blood. They took on humanity. It's amazing all the privileges and the blessings that we have in Christ. But here you have the creator. He doesn't stop short of anything. He himself is going to fulfill this promise. He could have easily said, hey, the given time, angels, go out there and get them. Gather them up. We know they're capable because you have the, the gathering of the, of the, um, the, uh, the goats and the unsaved at the end of the tribulation before the money of kingdom. You have that where the angels gather them all up, the sheep and the goats, and separate out. The sheep go into the millennial kingdom. The goats are, are gone, those that aren't saved. You, you have, they have the ability. The angels come and, and, and snatch people up. But the Lord says, no, I myself am going to take this and fulfill it. This is tremendous that he's coming for us. But where is he going? He says, in my Father's house, and what he's referring to here is in heaven, where the Father is, are many mansions, or another uh, a more accurate translation perhaps would be our many dwelling places. You see, there's room for all of us. Everyone that has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, there's room. I like to even think that if there wasn't room, he would make room. He would build another place on. He would find another room to make, perhaps. It's the never-ending building that he keeps building on rooms as people accept the Lord Jesus. But he's going away. But in his father's house are many mansions or dwelling places and that there's room for all of us throughout eternity. We're not going to be uh, shortchanged and have to share a room. But you'll have space for yourself. If it were not so, I would have told you. And what he's talking about here is he doesn't lie to us. He doesn't give false hope. He doesn't give uh, uh, anything that, that tells us anything that's not true. But what he's saying, he's going away. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. So what does this mean? I go to prepare a place for you. Again, many commentators have speculated the idea that he is going into heaven. And from the time that he resurrected to this particular day, he is building us a place in heaven. He is busy making that dwelling <coughs> place for us. We think of that God created earth six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And look how beautiful the earth is. Just think of all this time that he's preparing heaven for all the saints. This place is going to be truly amazing. But like I said before, the amazing part is not so much the place, but the person that's going to be there. But he is, in fact, uh, makes the place beautiful, just like he gave us this beautiful earth. I believe there's two parts to this. I go to prepare a place for you. The first part would be um, the way of the cross. Is that in order for them to have access into heaven, in order for them to, to, to go to where the Lord Jesus Christ is, he has to go prepare the place in, way, in such a way to make the way straight, to give them access into it, to make the arrangements for them to go to be with him. And that's the way of the cross. Is that He says, I go to prepare a place for you, is that he's going to go to the cross. 
And he's going to suffer and die. And there, he's going to be hung on that cross. And in those three dark hours, he's going to pay for the penalty of sin. He's going to take on the wrath of God. He's going to completely satisfy the righteous judgment of God and therefore give us absolute authority and right to come and to be with him throughout all of eternity. I'd like to think of the two parts of it. The first is the cross, and then from there he goes, and as he's resurrected, he is preparing that place to receive us unto himself. So um, we'll know as soon as we're calling to heaven. The beauty of it is, is that we can comfort one another with these words and be comforted that he will come again. He will fulfill this promise. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15 is the tremendous resurrection chapter that deals with the body. We'll look at First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse, we'll begin reading in verse uh, um, 50. Um, and well, it'd help if I was in First Corinthians. I was in Acts and I was going, Acts 15, there's no verse 50. Okay, verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. I want to I focus on here real quick, is what is he saying in essence here? Is that these bodies in which we have, that we have presently, number one, are not, not only sin-filled, deteriorating, but these bodies in which we have are not fit for heaven. They can't inherit the kingdom of God in its eternal state. You see, we need bodies that are fit for eternity. It's a different atmosphere. Our, our bodies right here, we breathe the air, the oxygen that's here. These bodies function great on earth here. Now we know as astronauts go into outer space, what happens, they gotta then retrofit oxygen and everything else in order for them to uh, function in, in space because it's a di different atmosphere. But you see, God is concerned about us that not only that uh, corruption can't inherit incorruption, that these current bodies are, are corrupt, but the mere fact that these bodies are not fit for heaven. So he needs to remedy this. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. And what have we talked about before? The rapture is a mystery. This resurrection is a mystery. It's unrevealed truth. It wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but he's declaring something to him new that's right now. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, I want you to look at the word all, and because and we're not going to get into it now, but there's different theories on the rapture, and, and there's one of the theories is there's a partial rapture, rapture theory, that only those people that are ready and looking for the Lord's return are going to be snatched away. And we know this isn't true because it says we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And none of these passages talk about a limited select group that are going to be changed, but that it's uh, all those that are placed in Christ are the ones that will be resurrected at this time. But he's referring to the same thing that he taught the Thessalonians. We shall not all sleep. It means not everyone's going to stay in the grave, but we shall all be changed. 
in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this, in, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when, <clears throat> so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortality has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So this gives us the time frame of how long it's going to take for this rapture to take place, for this resurrection. It's going to be at the twinkling of an eye. Some might call it a nanosecond. I don't even know what that is, but um, a second's pretty fast. Even if it was done within a second, but I think it's faster than that. It's a twinkling of an eye. It doesn't take any time. It's going to be literally where we're sitting with our coworkers, talking to them at work, and you're gone. You're gone. You could drive in your car, talking on your phone, whatever. Uh, you don't do that. That's, that's against the law. <laughs> but uh, on speakerphone, you know, with hands-free devices, you're gone. Accidents everywhere will occur. Planes in the air. I've heard airline, uh, that certain airlines, um, years ago I heard this from one of the, the speakers or someone, that they used to, they wouldn't put two Christians flying an airplane. They're afraid one's going to be both of them are gone. The plane goes down. You're going to have mass tragedies all around the world just with us, with the cars crashing, and everyone's seen accidents on the road. I think of all the cars that are gone. Now here's the. I'd hate to think of this, but can you imagine if the rapture occurred and the, everything just kept going on as normal? It means not a lot of Christians. And this is the reality of the apostasy of this world, and we'll get into next time, is that there's a lot of people that have false trust in Christ. There's a lot of people that have been following false teachers. There's a lot of people that, that want the religious aspect of Christianity, but in these last days, the Bible declares, they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not embrace the Trinity. They will not embrace uh, the incarnation of Christ the deity of Christ, the, the humanity of Christ. There's people that are going to be scoffers, rejectors, and it's going to go on and on. Nonetheless, there are the church here because Christ promised that he will build his church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So I believe there will be accidents and everything else that will take place. The economy, the stock market, everything's going to be thrown out in uproar. We don't have to worry about it going to be gone. But it says, we shall be changed. That moment, that twinkling of an eye, those that are dead in Christ are going to come out of the ground, that, that body. Now, now this is not a, a new body in the sense that he's gone away with her old, but he changes our current body. This body that I'm in right now is going to be a body fit, retrofitted, cleansed for all of eternity. It's going to be changed going to purify it. 
No more sin dwelling within my members. No more uh, achy muscles and bones. No more suffering. It's all in a moment it's going to be made better. For this corrupt, corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And that's exactly what we're going to put on is immortality. Forever and ever, we'll be living in these changed bodies with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever he goes, we're going to come down and reign on earth with him. We're going to give him responsibilities. We're going to be with him wherever he goes throughout all of eternity with these changed bodies, with our Savior, and continue learning throughout all of eternity about him. Turn to Revelation chapter uh, 22. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. Maybe this be the verse that we take on with us. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ that's talking about here. He who testifies to these things, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Can we make that our prayer? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we just thank you so much for your son. And we thank you so much. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the one. He made the promise to return. He made the promise to come and to gather us together with him. And he himself is going to return one day. Father, we know your promise is secure. You will fulfill your word. And here the Lord Jesus Christ promised that he will come quickly. Father, we just look forward to that day in which the shout goes out and the trumpet is sounded and we are reunited with our Savior who we will be with throughout all of eternity, never to be separated, but we'll have that fulfillment to see the Savior face to face, to look upon the eyes of our Savior that bled and died on Calvary's cross for us, to look at those nail prints, to look where they thrust that sword into his side, to see those prints of love, and to talk to him about the sacrifice he made for us, to learn from him throughout all of eternity, to continue to appreciate and to worship and to glorify him and to give him the honor that's due to him, that the all of heavens and earth will sing out, glory, glory, glory to the lamb, worthy as a lamb that was slain. This day will come, Father. May we constantly keep this in our minds. And live it out daily, looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.